Oh shit! You're listening to the James McMahon Music Podcast, and I'm your host, James McMahon, and this is a Spook Media Production. That's lovely, my old flowers. That's good, Anne. You're all like, hey, hold on. Hold on. Two Yorkshiremen, one amazing and increasingly eclectic punk come noise come post-hardcore come shoegaze come prog metal band. On this episode, I'm talking to James Spence from the great Sheffield-born outfit Rolo Tomasi, whose new studio album, their sixth, Where Myth Becomes Memory, is released this Friday on February 4th on E1 Entertainment. It's a quite remarkable record, and so our chat digs into the making of said record, the band's ever-evolving sound, that time I travelled through Holland and into Germany with them and Trash Talk, and football, obviously. While I'm here, it would mean loads to me if you'd subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating and a review too. It really helps this podcast get in front of more people. And the Spook Substack, where I write about music, but really that's just a springboard to write about politics, psychology, philosophy, and wider aspects of pop culture. Is finally up and running. You can find that at spook.substack.com. That's spook with three O's, obviously. But first. Ah, it's a good one, that, you know, it's a good one. Hey, hey. Yeah, there's just too many, too many wires. Got it. Um, but I think I've sorted it out now. So, yeah, how you doing? Are you doing all right? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, man. I was just thinking, I was trying to think about when the last time I had a proper conversation with you was, and I think it was somewhere either in, I think it was somewhere in Germany with Trash Talk years ago. Yeah, I can remember that. God, how long ago was that? 12 years. <sighs> Jesus. Thing is, you were still like relatively young at that point because you started out so early. Um, I'm older than you. I feel really old. I don't know about you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I'm 33 now, so I would have been 21 then. God, I would have been a couple of years off 30 at that point. So I was already, uh, I was already cracking on. It was weird, actually. I was going through some old video from that time recently, just um, on a project I'm working on, and I had some video of Trash Talk playing in. I don't know how you say the name of the place. I think it was N- Ningen, maybe in Nigen. That's it in in Holland. And there's some kids who gets up on stage and uh, stage dives and no one catches him. And I honestly thought I'd witnessed a death when it happened. I mean, there was a lot of that on that tour, definitely. People um, really, really hitting the deck hard. It was, um, yeah, my my enduring memories of it is that kind of uh, sort of veracity to all of the shows. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I, I mean, I, I, was, I lived a very different life to what I do now, but I remember turning up at whatever airport I flew into and the band picking me up, and I was so tired. I think I'd had a really late night on the other side, you know, just like dumb 20s shit, you know, like, oh, I've got to go interview a band in Germany tomorrow. Um, and I remember getting there and then being like, oh, you can sleep if you want. And me sleep, sleep. It, they only had like a transit, but I was went up on this shelf and slept. And then remember kind of waking up and then playing the most violent rap music <laughs> that I've ever heard and like the whole car being like a fug of skunk and me being like this is I'm not in uh, I'm not in Kansas anymore yeah right they definitely lived it 
I'll say that yeah, wasn't no. you know their their <laughs> their sort of um, what's what I'm looking for. Their image wasn't an image; it was like a legitimate lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I tell you what's really uh, speaking of rap. I was doing a bit of reading on uh, what Rollo had been up to, and I, I, I knew you'd signed to someone new, but I didn't know that this new label owns the back catalog to Death Row Records. Well, so there's that they do, and that's like the 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 main part of the label is called Monarch. Um, it was E1. They've recently changed their name. And then we're kind of on like the heavy imprint. So they kind of have like specialist teams for depending on um, genres and that that sort of thing. But they yeah, they do own the back catalogue to Death Row. That's wild. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I feel like if, if, if there was a really niche kind of indie rock punk pub quiz uh, and there was the question, what's the link between um, James Spence and Sudge Knight? Uh, I, I think I think that would be a, a winner, you know. Yeah, it's definitely kind of um, a pointless, a real zero like answer on pointless or something like that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Actually, I, so the other thing I was thinking about Rollo the other day is I was in uh, Peniston. Right. Like, what were you doing in Peniston? So my brother lives in Stocksbridge. Well, that's where me and Eva are from. You know that. Well. <laughs> See, I thought I knew that, but on Wikipedia, on the Wikipedia page for Peniston, it says that you're from Peniston. It's interesting because so for a period of time, we were on the notable alumni section of Peniston High School because that's where we went. We went to the went to Peniston um, Grammar School. Uh, we got taken off, and I don't know what we did to deserve to be removed. I would say like we're more now. I can see why we'd be on it more than we were when we were. But for whatever reason, we've been cut. Um, but yeah, we, we've, we're from Stocksbridge. We grew up in, and lived there, and like I, I lived there till I was eighteen, nineteen. It's um, it's a pretty wild place, you know. Like m- my brother's been there for a, a while, and um, he moved in with his fiance, mm-hmm. and we were going to have like a bit of sort of pre-Christmas Christmas. And I'm really into non-league football, so I always try and like squeeze a game in when I'm somewhere. And Stocksbridge Steels were away. Yeah, yeah, they were they were away. Unfortunately, so I went to see Peniston play, and it, Peniston Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was one of the most ridiculous matches I've ever seen. At one point, the fog was so bad that you couldn't see either goal. I can believe it. I've watched football there before, and it is like Peniston's actually really high up. I think the, the local train station there—it's like it's the highest train station in the UK, like in terms of how high up it is. Um, so in terms of like the mist reaching there, it's like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then the game got called off with eight minutes to go, which I was a bit like, lads, it, this has been like the clown show for, you know, eight, 80 minutes. Like just see it to the end, you know, but it was cool, man. Like all the, you know, all the kids are on the, all the kids are on the pitch in the dark. Yeah, I, play, um, I played on that pitch. So I played, like I played a lot of football for like 11s when I was younger. Um, oh. I played for the Stockbridge Park Steels junior team, like up to probably like under 15s. Then I started playing for another local village, Oxpring, and then we played a game against Peniston Church. Like a, a, it would have probably been a league game. So yeah, I was far too small to be playing men's football, but um, yeah, we got absolutely battered. <laughs> My enduring memory of it. I mean, it says a lot about me that I'm way more impressed by that than any of your very impressive achievements as a band. Well, I knew that you would be. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's brilliant. No, I love that. Any opportunity to talk about football, really. Who do you support? You know what? Um, I'm actually an Arsenal fan. So my, my parents aren't from Sheffield. They moved there just before I was born. And my dad is a big Arsenal fan. Um, so that was just instilled into me and... My sisters, uh, my youngest sister is a big football fan as well, and she played a lot when she was younger. 
so we're, we're yeah absolutely staunch Arsenal fans and I'm actually I've pretty much got a season ticket now so I live in Brighton but I travel up pretty much um, to all the home games oh amazing um, and it's yeah it's a massive part of my life yeah I love it what did you make about the postponement of the North London derby I think a precedent has been set and we took advantage of that precedent. Um, I don't think teams should be cancelling games at all. I think they should be playing youth team players. Um, I was more angry about Liverpool postponing our the first leg of the League Cup semi, which has been played this week. Um, but yeah, I can see why people are annoyed about it, definitely. But unfortunately, you know, it, other teams have kind of set the precedent with it and the league have been far too lax on the whole thing. I, yeah. I, I think it should have gone ahead. And I think a lot of these games that have been cancelled could and should have gone ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing to me. I mean, you know, I support Doncaster. Um, it's largely not affected us. I do think it is amazing the way the football fans will use anything as leverage to have a pop at another club. Completely. And, like, I was seeing a lot of people moaning on Twitter about it and I don't think it's any sort of... Um, it shouldn't come as any surprise that there's there was a huge Tottenham bias and there is a, a hell of a lot of journalists for The Athletic and other reputable sports papers that are big Tottenham fans. And it was just like, have you guys not been watching the, like the last two months of this and seen all the cancellations? Like, this is an absolute... It, they're just doing what everyone else has done. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you know what it is, though? It's like Arsenal on... Uh, I mean, I really like this Arsenal team. You know, I, I think you're building towards something good. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, I don't know, you know, now that kind of Emery era's gone, you know, like Dave Enger and all that, like, it's almost like, I think people are really scraping the barrel for things to have a pop at Arsenal for. So I think that's maybe why he got it a bit more. Well, than- I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And to be honest, you know, like, if other fans don't like your team, you're doing something right, ultimately. Like, no one wants to be the team that everyone, you know, is everyone's second team or that everyone likes or whatever. So it's kind of nice. I think, you know, that definitely it galvanises support if you feel that your back's, you know, that everyone else is against you, I suppose. Yeah, something like that. I feel a little bit like that's the the motto of of my life, really. <laughs> um, we should we should talk about something other than the football. Oh, I, yeah. I, there was an episode of this podcast I did with Bob Mould, and he used to write scripts for uh, WCW wrestling in the in the late nineties, and only had half an hour with him, and I must have spent twenty minutes talking to him about wrestling. So, you know, there was no complaints. Everyone was very complimentary, but about the episode. But uh, you know, I sort of should talk about music, really. I love the I love the new record. Thank you very much. I almost feel like with your band that I'm always really grateful when I don't have to review a record because I sort of run out of superlatives. Really, I think it's uh, I think the music that you make, especially these days, is really difficult to write about because it is so uh, like textured and it almost is like it's the sort of music that it's difficult to write about because you end up having to rein yourself in so that you don't sound ridiculous. But I, I thought that opening tune in particular on the record, what's that one called? Almost Always. I mean, that's just like, fucking hell, where have... Not that you've been in this band for a long time, but like, where have the sort of roller to massive that used to like melt my brain gone? This is one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've heard in forever. It sort of took my breath away. That's really nice um, to hear you say that. Like, it's that's a song particularly that I'm very proud of, and it's 
I think the goal with writing music always has been to to make sure it's a true reflection of like what we like mm. um, and to what we're what we're into. And as we've gotten older and listened to different music and our taste has changed, I think our output as a band has, has changed naturally. Um, I think a song like Almost Always is it's so close to the music that I love and the music that kind of that inspires me. And I think it just feels just super honest. And I think, you know, I, yeah, it, it sounds as close to what I've wanted our band to sound like for the last few years as we've ever really come. Um, I think it's like, it, it hits all the kind of touch points I wanted to hit on the record in, in the first six minutes of the album. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I'm pleased that you picked that song out really. Yeah. I mean, it definitely sets the scene. I think, I guess with your taste, you know, I think it's really futile to expect a band to be what they were when they were formed by a bunch of teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I and I do, when you mention honest, I sometimes think the word honest gets a bit of a rough deal in music because it can sometimes imply earnest and, you know, a bit kind of laboured and boring. But there is something really honest about Rolo Tomasi. Like, I don't think you've ever, I don't think you've ever, I've never listened to a record and thought that isn't, authentic to what they they are as people do you feel like you've ever had to have you has there ever been a situation where you feel like someone has wanted you to compromise or have you always felt like you have been free to create kind of in your own world and do what you want to do i think it's definitely the latter rather than the former and i know that we're very lucky in that respect but i also feel that because of choices that we made really early on musically everyone that wanted to work with us knew that it was going to have to be like that. And that they knew that we sounded the way that we did because we were doing that already. And, you know, if you wanted that version of the band, you kind of had to let us do what we want. I sometimes think it's weird with the music industry. Like it's almost like those sort of dodgy fellas that like get in relationships and then kind of like, because they like a, they like a girl and then they want the girl to dress like they want them to dress or something. It's like <laughs> or, or, almost like you, you've come to this. Why do you want it to be something else? You know? Well, this is it. It's like, you know, if this is the thing that you liked about us, this is achieved because we do what we want. And (laughs) yeah, like it's, you know, it's a nice position to be in, definitely. Yeah, no, totally. When did, when, I'm I'm sure I've read you talk about this before, but I I think it is interesting. When, when do you think Eva realized that she could like really sing? Um, I think it was probably, I think we all kind of realized she could probably sing around the time we wrote the second album. Right, because I think you know we've always tried to put singing in because we listen to a lot of music where there's clean singing, and because to actually put variety into what we're doing, it, it there was no real need for it to be super harsh all the time. Um, and I think it was the second record where she really got the confidence to to really push it. Um, and it's just something that's been developing since really like, you know, she definitely, you know, she met up with like vocal coaches who helped to really get the best out of what she was doing and then worked with the, the right producers to make her feel comfortable enough to really, really get the best out of her voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like when she started doing it, it definitely, it sort of added an extra gear really. I mean, I'm almost at a bit of a point with the listener though, where like I almost kind of, I almost think that's my favourite bit about what you do. Yeah. Obviously, we were just talking briefly about South Yorkshire and Peniston and Stocksbridge. 
it was quite hard. I was listening to the second record when, when I was there, uh, and maybe I'm being a little bit sort of over romantic about this, but it really it was music that felt like it made sense for almost the area. Like you know, <laughs> there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of sort of expanse there and or natural beauty, and but also sort of a, a, just a bit of sort of darkness about the place. Do you think that where you're from kind of influenced what you do? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think at the time it was more... When I was younger, I think I'll start by saying this. When I was younger, I didn't really appreciate the the surroundings that I had. Um, And for me, I very much use music as a bit of a vehicle to kind of get away from it. Yeah. So it influ- the where I'm from influenced what we're doing in the way that I was so desperate to go and see other places that I was, yeah, inspired to kind of seek out so much music and travel and go to other cities and other places and, you know, go where I thought there was more happening, I suppose. Um, Did, even with Sheffield being on your doorstep? When we were younger, we went to Leeds and Manchester way more for shows. Absolutely. Right. Because there was a period of time where like international touring bands just didn't come into Sheffield at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the Lead Mill, which was great for like UK touring bands. You know, I saw so many shows there, but it was bands like Hundred Reasons and Hell is for Heroes who were great. And like, I, I love both of those bands. But for anything that was kind of more in tune with what we were doing, we would have to travel to go to like Leeds and Manchester a lot. Um, yeah. Tons of shows at the Academy or like, you know, the Brudenell, Leeds Uni. Yeah, when I was based in the, in Sunderland and then Newcastle for a bit, it was always Leeds. Leeds was just, it was, uh, it, just had, it just had everything for a while. Just, you know, if there was like a cool underground DIY hardcore band you wanted to see, Leeds was where it was at. If there was something. Yeah. I, I think there was probably like the equivalent going on in Sheffield, but I was just so like, blindsided by this desire to kind of get away and go and see other things that I maybe didn't pay too much attention to it. Like it's not to say that there wasn't anything good happening in Sheffield. Like we were really lucky at the time to have venues like Corporation as well. And there was a bunch of stuff that came through there and we definitely had like our bits, but it was very much after Manchester and Leeds had had it first. Yeah. How are you finding, uh, I mean, I know it's been a, a long time now, and obviously a global pandemic happened in the middle of it. But how are you finding having a member of the band, your sister, singer, like with an ocean between the two of you? It's been different, definitely. I think we'd um, we'd always been planning for it, um, and almost. I mean, obviously, it was str- the pandemic happening was strange. We knew that he was leaving, and the UK rather, and. And then we definitely have to change the way that we were working. Um, so we'd already kind of started working on music and things like that. Um, so by the time the pandemic came around and we, you know, for a period of time, couldn't really leave the house, it, it didn't really affect what we were doing. I suppose what was strange was that, you know, we finished the tour in 2019, Eva went home. We just presumed we would see each other within a few months. And then I didn't get to see her for two and a half years. And, like, you know, it's the longest amount of time I've not seen my sister while they've been alive. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, on a very personal level, it was really like difficult and yeah, just just strange. But it was just, you know, it was a strange thing in an absolute sea of strange things that um that kind of every I'm sure everyone has a story like that that you can, you know, can kind of relate relate to on a on a personal level. But yeah, difficult. But um but yeah, I mean she's made it back a couple of times to the UK and I went out to New York in um 
in December. So we've been able to see each other, um, which has been good. So when you were making the record, was we all in the room at the same time at any point? Maybe like two or three times. Right. Um, oh, sorry, when we were recording the album. Right? Yeah, yeah. Recording, so the four of us that are based in the UK, were, were there was periods of time we were all at the studio together in Southampton. Eva, Eva tracked all the vocals in the US. She didn't come home for it. She couldn't at the time. Um, there would have been like really intense quarantine periods either side of it. And it would have turned like a week of recording into like a five week holiday. So it yeah. just wasn't something that was feasible. Um, yeah. So, you know, she didn't, she'd never played any of the songs with us ahead of recording them. Um, the first time that she actually performed any of them with us were rehearsals ahead of a show we did in Brighton in November last year. Which was <sighs> weird because we'd never done anything like that before. That was like definitely like sort of um, a stark contrast to kind of any experience we've had of writing or recording. Man, I don't, I mean, I don't think it loses anything for it. You know, like I felt like there was such a rush of, you know, sadness, euphoria, joy, anger, like all over the record. There's all these different emotions and there wasn't there wasn't anything that I felt like was disconnected at all. Um so it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of like an old like DIY fanzine guy. Like it's pretty good this technology thing sometimes, isn't it? You know what I mean? It like it really came through for us and I think if anything I would say that because of the way that we had to write it and record it we paid so much more attention to details that we'd never notice if this had all just been written in the same room. Um, we would kind of be back and forth with demos and sort of really picking apart specifics that we wouldn't have done otherwise. And I think having extra time to do all of that as well, because there wasn't sort of any external pressure to finish it because there was no touring schedule or, or anything like that. It really allowed us to kind of just take things to a different level, really. Um, and I think it's actually made for a, yeah, a, m- a more cohesive album, definitely when it comes to the vocals of, of Eva and, and of me as well. Have you, uh, I haven't seen the artwork. Has the artwork been released yet? Yeah, it has. It's, um, it's up on like the pre-order website and you'll be able to see it on Twitter and things like that. Um, every studio album has been done by the same artist. It's a friend of ours called Simon um, Moody. He's, he lives in Nottingham. I used to live with him. Um, and he he used to do sort of graphic design as a full time thing, but he's um he's a teacher now, and he'll sort of do, he does just just our album artwork. That's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, I think we've always wanted to sort of maintain an aesthetic across the releases. Um, and he's the best. Like you know, we just give him the finished when we finish recording, we'll give him the lyrics and we'll give him the music and we'll just let him draw and he'll just give us a finished cover. That's been that's been the way that we've always done it with him, and we've never been anything other than amazed with how with what with what he's done um That's i mean just see what you thought of it I, I think of it when you actually get the chance to see it because i mean i think it's a i think it's a perfect representation of the record um yeah no, it's brilliant um so what's the plan with uh live shows so we are going on tour next month um it was originally supposed to be a european and uk tour um we made the really difficult decision to cancel the mainland european dates um we just didn't feel that um all the COVID restrictions that are currently in place would line up in a way that would allow us to tour in a way that made sense. Um, we knew that we would more than likely be able to do shows in the UK. So when we cancelled the European dates, we added an extra four UK shows onto the start of the tour. So we're doing eight shows in the UK now, um, which is great. I'm delighted that we're able to do something around the album release and we're all you know, really looking forward to it, especially having not toured for a few years now and 
And after playing a show in November last year and kind of getting a bit of a taste for it, it's um, it's going to be exciting. And then um, we're looking at a sort of a period of time in the summer. Uh, we've got a couple of festivals that have confirmed in like June, July time. So we'll do some more um, dates around that. We're going to be doing 2000 Trees and, and some club shows in Russia, um, which will be fun. And then later in the year, we're hoping to get back to the States. Amazing. I'll definitely be at one of the UK shows. So uh, yeah, we're playing Oval Space um, on February twenty fourth. Yeah, no, that that'll be all go. Um, yeah, no, I'll 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 come say hello. Um, thanks so much for your time, James. Uh, I've been really nice catching up. And uh, yeah, absolutely, great to talk to you. Like I say, I'll uh, I'll see you in the pit, as they say. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Well, that was episode 37 thanks to James for a really nice conversation thanks to Matt Hughes for hooking us up the theme tune is about a band Jobbers and I'll see you soon